I appreciate Joe filling in for Rick tonight. His band is in a camp this week, so he wasn't able to be here tonight. And I appreciate Joe filling in for us. I enjoyed the fellas Sunday night singing. Didn't you enjoy that? In fact, uh, the song, Joe wrote the wor words to it, and uh, Daniel, he put the music to it. It's a great song, so I'm going to steal it and copyright it and make money off of it, amen. But that was a blessing. Take your Bible and turn to the book of James 5, the book of James 5. And uh, believe it or not, we are coming to the final chapter of the book of James. We've been working our way through James on Wednesday night now for several months. have about three more messages from James 5, and then we'll be moving to another book or another study on Wednesday night. We're going to look at verses 1 through 6 tonight and uh, think about what James has to say about our money. Let's do a checkup of the checkbook. Let's stand as we honor the reading of his word, and we'll glean some thoughts from these six verses and about our attitudes toward money. James 5, verse 1 the Bible said, Go to now, you rich men. Weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered and the rest of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud. Crieth, and the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Ye have lived in pleasure on the earth and have been wanton. Ye have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. Ye have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. Thank you. you may be seated. And tonight we'll look at these six verses and and do a checkup of our checkbook. Let's learn a little bit about what kind of attitudes we ought to have toward wealth, the kind of attitudes we ought to have about our money. Let's pray. Our Father tonight, we do want to tell that story. We want to tell that story to everyone we meet, everywhere we go. It's such a wonderful story. It was a life-changing story for us personally. And we want others to hear the wonderful story. So I pray you'd help us. Fathers, we come tonight, we know that you're interested in every area of our life, even our money. So we ask you now that you might speak to us through your word. As we study the word of God, may we glean things tonight from the scripture that will be a help to us and that will help us to have the right kind of attitudes about wealth and our money. So we thank you for your word. I ask you now to fill us with the spirit of God for the giving of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I once read one time that someone said that there are three books that are essential for revival. First of all, there is the book, of course, talking about the Bible, be no revival apart from the Word of God. Not only the book, but the hymn book, and thirdly, the pocketbook. Those three books are essential for revival. Well, as we look at these verses tonight, James is talking about the pocketbook. Or to put it another way, our checkbook or our wealth or our money. He's addressing what he has to say to rich men. And he's had several things to say to the rich beginning in chapter 1 and chapter 2. We have already seen what he has had to say to those that are rich. But now he's got a scathing rebuke to give to them and scathing words to the rich. In verse 1 he says, Go to now ye rich men. 
He's addressing primarily people here that are unsaved. He's not talking about people that are saved, but people that are unsaved and those that are very wealthy and rich that are unsaved. And he gives them a scathing rebuke about the attitudes they have about money, how they approach money, how they look at money, how they earn money, and so forth like this. But I want you to understand tonight that even though he's uh, talking to people that are unsaved, it has been put in the Word of God for our benefit. And the Spirit of God has put it here that we might glean from the lessons that are being taught to these rich men. Now let me say at the very beginning, before we even begin to look at what he has to say about wealth, let me say this, that James is not condemning wealth. He is not condemning riches. He is not saying that it's a sin to be wealthy. He is not saying that it's a sin to be rich. If you have been blessed in life and you have much, then you ought to be appreciative of it and you ought to be thankful for it. There is nothing in the Bible that says that money is wrong. It is the love of money that is condemned. Not money itself, but it is the love of money. It's when we are obsessed with money and consumed with money and having money and making money and what money can bring us in our life. Now, the Bible never condemns money. It just condemns certain attitudes about money. But as James talks about these rich men, in verse 1, he uses that phrase, go to now, that we saw in chapter 4, which is a phrase that means, hey, wait a minute, stop, pay attention. I want you to listen to what I've got to say. And he says to these rich men, now you listen carefully. I want you to understand this. He said in verse 1, you rich men, weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. In this scathing rebuke, he reminds these rich people, their attitudes about money, that they are about to face some very tragic and very terrible things in their life. He says to them in verse 1, weep for the miseries that are going to come upon you. See the word weep there? It is a word that literally means to sob out loud. It was a word that was used to speak of those that were welling for the dead. In those days, in Bible days, oftentimes they would hire professional mourners for funerals and things like that. And they would wail to the top of their voice, trying to show grief and so forth. And this is the word, weep, weeping and sobbing out loud, wailing from your grief. He said, you're going to weep over the miseries that are going to come upon you. And then he talks about howling for your miseries in verse 1. Not only weeping, but howling. It takes it a little bit further. The word howl that he uses there is a word that simply means to shriek or to scream. It is what we would call an onomatopoetic word, which is simply speaks of a word that sounds like it means, like the bee went bzzz and the zipper went zip or whatever there. When he talks about howl, he uses that word in the sense that you just someone just screams and there's just a howling sound. He says to the rich man, hey, there's miseries coming upon you. Because of the attitudes that you have about your money and the way you approach your money and the way you deal with your money, he said, mark it down. There is coming a day of judgment upon you. A very, very serious judgment and as he reveals in those words. But I want you to look at it tonight. And as we look at how these rich men viewed their money, let's try to apply it to our lives tonight and learn about attitudes that we ought to have concerning our wealth, whether it be our money, whether little or much. I want you to, let me break it down in three categories. First of all, he talks about wealth that is stored. He talks about wealth that is stored. Notice what he has to say in verse 2. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. 
Your gold and silver is cankered, and the rest of them shall be a witness against you, and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Notice this statement. You have heaped treasure together for the last days. Underscore that statement there. You have heaped treasure together. The word heat that is used there is a word that simply means to store. It means more than just heaping something in a pile. It is, we would say, hoarding something. You have hoarded up your treasures, you might say. You have stored up your treasures. You have put your treasures up. And the word treasure that he uses there is an interesting word. We actually get our word thesaurus from it. And a thesaurus is a collection of words. The word treasure is, is, means a collection. That is, they had hoarded up and collected their wealth. They had had all this money. They had all this riches, riches, and so they had hoarded it up. They had heaped it up together. It was like a collection to them. Their attitude was get all you can and can all you get. So he talks about wealth that is stored, wealth that is hoarded, wealth that is heaped up. Now let me ask a couple of questions when I think about them heaping up their treasures. That is, this attitude of storing their money or this attitude of hoarding their money. Two questions I want to ask us tonight. One is this. Do we properly understand our money? When we talk about money and talk about wealth, do we really understand our wealth and do we really understand our money? Do we really understand the temporal nature of all that we have? And we talk about our money, we can talk about our stocks and our mutual funds, savings accounts and bonds and all of these things, and, and we can hoard our money up and store our money up, but do we really understand the temporal nature of all that we have in this life? For example, he talks about grain, he talks about garments, and he talks about gold. When he talks about grain, he talks about grain in the statement there, your riches are corrupted. He uses the word riches, which was a general term for riches, but the word corrupted there is a word that simply means to rot or that which just has rotted or is rottening. In those days, they measured wealth by three things. One, by their grains or their crops, and two, by their garments and by their gold. When he talks about riches that is corrupted, he is talking about grain that is rottening. He said that which is a source of your income, it decays. It will rot. Then he talks about garment. He says that your garments are moth-eaten. They not only measure a person's wealth by grain or their flocks, or not or flocks, but crops, but also their garments, the kind of garments they would wear, luxurious garments, like we talked about the rich man on Sunday morning who was clothed in fine linen, a mark of wealth. Well, he says your garments are moth-eaten. They'll decay. The moss can destroy them. He said it thirdly in verse 3, your gold and silver is cankered. See the word cankered there is a word that means to rust. He is saying that those precious metals and things, they'll rust, they will decay. What he's talking about is that which is temporal in its nature. All of the grain, all of our crops, they all will rot and decay. You can take all of our garments, the moss can destroy them. And our gold and silver, all of that will corrode and all of that will decay. He's talking about the temporal nature of the things that we hold on so dear in this life. If the truth of the matter was known, there's some in this room today that all you, that all you think about is how much you have and how much more you can get and saving that money and hoarding that money and all of your earthly treasures. And again, there's nothing wrong with having money. 
nothing wrong with having things. But I want you to remember that all the things that we cherish so much in this life is not going to last for eternity. The only thing that will endure and the only thing that will last is that is the treasure that we lay up on the other side. Amen? But he talks about this matter of the money and our riches. And do we properly understand that tonight? That our wealth is temporal. That the nature of all that we have in this life is, is, is not eternal, but is something that is passing in time. But the second question is this. Understanding that he's talking about hoarding our money, Second of all, do we personally use our money? You see, what James is condemning here is not saving money. No, the Bible doesn't condemn saving money. What he is condemning is hoarding that money. And the matter of rust there, he talks about in verse 3, he said, the rust of them shall be a witness against you. Now, rust is always applied to that which is unused. What he's condemning is not using our money. That is a believer understanding that the wealth that we have that's been given to us by God. Deuteronomy talks about how that God giveth man wealth and God giveth man riches. It's not wrong to invest money. It's not wrong to save money. But what God frowns on is our hoarding that money rather than using that money. Understand tonight that as a child of God, what we've been given to by God is a trust. And we are a stewardship of God's money that He's put into our life. And we're not just to hoard our money up for a rainy day. We are to invest our money in eternal things. We are to use our money for the things of God. It's like this church here. If you did not give, this church could not exist we couldn't have buildings. We couldn't uh, pay for the utilities in the buildings. We couldn't have ministries. We couldn't enlarge ministries. We couldn't do this. We couldn't support missionaries. We couldn't have staff members if it were not for your giving. You see, God uses your giving to support His work. And so when we think about the matter of money, we've got to understand as a believer that God never intended for us to hoard up our money. He intended us to invest our money in eternal things. Now, again, it's not wrong to save money, but when you've got thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars sitting over in a banking account and you won't touch it and won't use it for the work of God, that is what bothers God. And that is what God condemns. He has blessed us in order that we may take our funds and take our wealth and put it into the kingdom of God. That's one thing I'll say this. I do not have any trouble about is giving to God. No, 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 no. I've got over that a long time ago. I have found that the more I give to God, more God gives back to me. And if I was to begin to withhold from God, God would begin to withhold from me. No, what He puts into my life, I am but a channel through which that is sent through my life and invested in the work of God. Amen? So it's a matter not of hoarding our money, but using our money. We're to circulate our money. It's like I read one time about Oliver Cromwell during a time of Oliver Cromwell, the government ran out of silver. And so they began to search for silver, and somebody came back and said, the only silver we can find is the statues of the saints in the cathedrals. And Cromwell said, then go get the saints, melt them down, put them in circulation. Well, uh, we are to be in circulation, but not just us, but our wealth as well. And he talks about how one day we are going to give an account of what we do with our money. He says you have heaped treasure together, but he said there will be a witness against you. And he talked to these men that are lost. He said, it shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Literally, is that your wealth will burn up with you. That your wealth will be destroyed with you. 
But the ideal is that we will stand before God with what we do with our money. Again, when you see the need of missionaries and you see the need of the work of God expanding and you're sitting on thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars and you won't touch it for anything, that God frowns on and we'll give an account for it. We're to put it into the work of God. Amen. Everybody don't have anything says amen. But second thing, not only wealth that is stored, but the second category that he talks about is wealth that is stolen. There is wealth that is stored, it is hoarded up. But then he begins to talk about wealth that is stolen. You see, God's not only interested in what we do with our money, he's also very interested in how we get our money. Notice what he says beginning in verse 4. He said, Behold, the higher the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept by, by fraud, crieth, and the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Look at verse 6. Ye have condemned and killed the just, and he doth not resist you. He's talking about how the wealthy increased their money. They were wealthy to begin with, but they increased their wealth in an unscrupulous way. Now, let me just point out two things in verse 4 and 6 that he describes. For one thing, you see a gain that is wicked. A gain that is wicked. He talks about in verse 4, one way they increase their wealth, and in verse 6, another way they increase their wealth. Now, look at these two ways the rich increase their wealth. In verse 4, you see they increase their wealth by money that was not distributed. In verse 4, he talks about the higher the labors and how that they have reaped down your fields, that if they harvested your fields, but you have count back by fraud. Now, what he's talking about, in those days, people were paid daily. They were not paid once a week or every two weeks. They were paid daily. And because many of them were poor, so they come in and work for a day. At the end of the day, they would be paid their wages for the day. Well, in verse 4, you have somebody that is wealthy, and so he hires a bunch of people to harvest his fields, and the day comes, and he does not pay them. He holds back, and he kept back by fraud. The next day they work, he does not pay them. He keeps it back. It's not a matter that he intended to pay them at the end of the week. The tense of the words is, indicates that he had no intention of paying them. So he defrauded them. He cheated them. He deceived them. So one of the ways they increased their wealth was they cheated people out of what they deserved. They hired people to do work and they reaped the benefits of the harvest, but they didn't pay the laborers there. So there was money that was not distributed. But in verse 6, there is money that was not due. How did they increase their wealth? Look in verse 6. He said, ye have condemned and killed the just. And he doth not resist you. Underline the word condemned there. The word that he uses there is a legal term indicating they used the court systems to get money. Not only did they hire people to do a job and then what the, where the harvest, the grain they would sell would pad their pockets, but they increased their wealth by not paying, out the one, paying to the ones that had worked for them. But then verse 6 indicated they even took the poor to court. In the very beginning in James 1, we saw how he talks about how people favor the rich, and he talks about how that the rich there, how that they're the ones that persecute you and so on. But he now finds them in verse 6, taking these poor people to court. 
and they do not have the ability to resist them. That's buying the safe. He doth not resist you. He can't resist you. You've got the money for the fancy lawyers. You buy the judges. You can control the decisions, the whole thing. And so you're taking them to court. You're taking their little pieces of property. You're taking all of their possessions away. And what you're doing is increasing your own wealth. So they were getting money that was not due them was one way they were increasing their wealth, and then they were increasing their wealth by not distributing money that they owed to others. It was a gain that was wicked. But look at the second thing he says about it. You not only see a gain that is wicked, but you see a God that is watching. He said about the men that hoard up their wealth, he said, one of these days, your riches are going to testify against you, and your wealth will burn with you in hell one day. But now he says, I want you to understand this. How you make your money is important to God. Because he said, you cheat people out of their money. He says, the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You see that word Sabaoth, the name there? It is a name or a word that simply speaks of hosts or armies. It gives us the name, the Lord of hosts, which simply means and indicates that he's a commander of the heavenly armies. He said, I want you to understand something. You cheat people out of what you owe them. You cheat people, you have people that work for you, you don't treat them right, and you don't pay them the way they ought to be paid and pay them when they ought to be paid. He said, I want you to understand something. The Lord God, the commander-in-chief of the armies of heaven, is watching what is going on. What he's saying to them is, in the very beginning, weep and howl because judgment day is coming on you rich men. Judgment on how you hoard your money. Judgment on how you get your money. And when I think about the matter, it reminds me and how that not only God is interested in how we use our money, but how we are getting our money, that we're to gain our money and increase our wealth in godly ways, in honest ways, in ethical ways, not in that which is unethical. So there is money that is stored. So when you think about being business, you cheat others out of money and you cheat and steal just to make more money. I just want to remind you, one day you'll stand before the commander-in-chief of the heavenly armies, and he's not one you want to deal with when it comes to judgment. Amen? So he will, we will give an account for how we use our money. We'll give an account for how we get our money. What is the third category of, that deals with our wealth here? Not only wealth that is stored and wealth that is stolen, but then in verse he talks about wealth that is spent. Or other, in other words, how they spend their money. One category holds on to it. They get all they can, they can all they get. They hoard up their money, they won't use it for the poor, they won't use it for the things of God. There are those who have money, they have gained in unethical ways. But then he talks about those that have lived in pleasure in verse 5 on the earth and been wanton. You have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. He talks about those that spend their money. Now, how do they spend their money? One thing he describes is they spend their money on a corrupt lifestyle. He says, you have lived in pleasure on the earth. Now, let me say this. I said it was not wrong to have money. It's not wrong to have money as long as you use your money. It is not wrong to get money as long as you get it in ethical ways. But I want you to say thirdly that it's not wrong to enjoy what your money can bring in your life. If you've been blessed with a lot, money can bring certain pleasures in your life and certain joys in your life that those who don't have money may not be able to enjoy. There's nothing wrong with enjoying money provided 
that it does not corrupt us. Now, that's the ideal in verse 5, is that they're taking their wealth and they're spending their wealth in a lifestyle that is corrupting them. You see the word pleasure there? It's a word that simply talks of luxury. It describes that which is used in excess. And, of course, the idea behind the word is that it leads into certain vices that money can get you into. He talks about wanton there. He says in verse 5, you've lived in pleasure on earth, you've lived in luxury, you've lived in excess on earth. You have been wanton. The word wanton that is used there, it simply talks about the pursuit of pleasure. And it describes that lifestyle that money can lead us into, a lifestyle that is corrupt, a lifestyle that is ungodly, a lifestyle that is wicked. It's like here is the passion of this individual. Here is their pursuit, is the pleasures of this world. And any pleasure their money can buy them, whether right or wrong, they live for that pleasure. That's what they strive after. And so here is a corrupt lifestyle that's brought about by money. But second of all, it is a condemned lifestyle. He says, you that have lived in pleasure, lived in luxury and excess on earth, and have chased all the pleasures of this old world. He said, I want you to understand something. You have nourished your hearts as in the day of slaughter. That word nourished there is a very interesting word in the context. It is a word that simply means fatten or to make fat. And when he uses the phrase, as a day of slaughter, the picture is of an animal being fattened in order that it might be slaughtered. It's like taking a little old pig and feeding that pig and feeding that pig certain kinds of food or grain or slop or whatever there. You're fattening that pig up to get it ready for the day of slaughter. Like little old chickens that you feed, you're fattening them up in order for the slaughter. It's like beef, you're fattening them up and for the slaughter. He said, what you have done, you have lived and enjoyed all the pleasures of this world, but all you're doing is fat yourself up to the day of slaughter. The ideal again is that judgment is coming on the rich and judgment is coming on the wealthy. So he gives a scathing rebuke of the wealthy. But yet as we gain, glean from them tonight, we remind ourselves that God, that one of these days we're going to stand before God and we're going to give an account for a lot of things. We will stand before God. You believe that? And we will give an account to God. You believe that? And we're going to give account to God for many things. But I want you to understand something tonight. We're going to give account to God about our money. Every penny that's come through this preacher's pocket, I'm going to give an account for. And every paycheck you've ever drew and every dime you've ever had to your name, we're one day going to give an account to God for it. We'll give an account to how we admired our money. We'll give an account to God how we accumulated our money. And we'll give an account to God how we applied our money. Again, it's not wrong to have money, but it's wrong for money to have you. It is not wrong to, hire, to earn money, but it's wrong to earn money in an unethical way. And it's not wrong to enjoy what your money can buy, but it is wrong to live an ungodly life by that money. He said, we'll give an account to God. We're going to be judged one day by over our money. Take your prayer sheet for tonight. Thank you for listening. I have found this through the years. You win the battle of a man's pocketbook, you'll win the battles for his... So fearful that they're not going to have enough money to make ends meet or hang on this and make 
three, four, six hundred dollars a week and drop twenty-five dollars in on Sunday thinking they have done God a favor. But you haven't given to God. You've robbed God. And you'll give an account of that. Win the battle over your pocketbook. And you'll win the battle over your heart. I want you to remember our missionary of the week, the Tom Porner family serving in United Kingdom with Baptist International Missions. And we want to pray for them tonight. Our Church of the Week, one of our sister churches here in the area, Memorial Baptist Tabernacle in Rossville, where Brother Doug Hawkins is the pastor. This is Kevin uh, Hawkins, one of our members, his father. And then, of course, the hospital list. We want to remember Miss Revels, Miss Stevens, Chris Kelby had back surgery yesterday. Doris Myers is in the hospital. Kenneth Long is at Park Ridge. Uh, Eddie Ellison had shoulder surgery today. He is at home. Then you pray for him. And then a special request uh, tonight uh, to pray for Opal's aunt. And then let me remind you to be praying for revival and praying that the Lord will bless coming up and just uh, be this week from Sunday. Are you, have you been praying for the revival? Let's pray that God will touch in a special way. And then our building program and all of these things. All of you that will, let's just come and gather around the altar. Let's lay our hearts on the altar. Let's lay our pocketbooks on the altar so that one day when we stand before God and we give an account, we'll not be ashamed at the account that we have to give involving our money. Our Father tonight, in Jesus' name as we pray, we come to you tonight to lift up our special requests. We lift up our missionary of the week, the Pointer family serving you in the United Kingdom. We ask you, Lord, that you bless them there and use them for the glory of God. In a country where less than 2% are in church on Sunday, I pray that you would bless and use them. I pray, Lord, for a country that is so full of history and what you have done and of great men that voices have been heard throughout that country, but yet so spiritually desolate in our hour. I pray you bless Brother Tom and those who serve there and use them for the glory of God. I pray for Brother Hawkins in Memorial Baptist Tabernacle. I pray, Lord, you bless them. Thank you for Brother Hawkins. Thank you for his faithfulness to you. I pray you would bless him and use him and do great things for them in the church. May they grow, may they prosper. Then, Lord, for the folk that are in the hospital tonight, I pray that you touch them, those who are recovering from surgery. Would you touch them, special needs? I pray you would touch. For our revival that is coming up, I pray, Lord, that you touch it. Prepare our hearts for revival. Stir our hearts about revival. Touch Brother Hurt. May it be a blessed time in the Lord. We pray, Lord, for our building program that you continue to supply and meet our needs and lead us and guide us as we're getting so close to the final plans. So, Father, help us to know your will, and, and I pray, dear God, that you'll just lead us and guide us in every little detail. Bless tomorrow night as our adult teams go out in faith. Thank you, Lord, for uh, those that have been saved over the past several weeks. Bless our teams tomorrow night as they go out. Bless, Lord, on the Lord's Day. Bless Sunday school. Bless our services. May there be a special anointing of God upon the services Sunday. Bless all that goes on here. Keep us faithful to you. Keep us true to you. And I pray, Lord, that this would be a place where people will meet God. So I pray you would be with us. Thank you again for all of your goodness. Help us to serve you, Lord. Help us to have the right attitudes about our money that when we stand before you, we'll not be ashamed with what we did, with what you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. Shake hands, fellowship as you leave. Let our visitors know we're glad to have them in our Wednesday night Bible study.